So good to see you. I can see the glow, the sun glow, for those of you who are out in the barbecue yesterday. There's an extra shine. <laughs> I definitely got a little bit of bait. Um, but so great to be here with you. My name is Helen Kim Nowak. I'm pastor of Community Life here. And myself, and we have other pastors and staff that will be in the lobby right after. So we love, love, love to meet you. So please stop by and say hello. And we've been in a series about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is the third living, dynamic, present person of the Trinity, of God in our lives, and how he companions us, he walks with us in all different seasons, how he works immeasurably beyond all we can ask or imagine in our lives, how he's not just there lingering passively, but he's producing as we lean into him and walk with him, producing in us fruit that we could otherwise never have in our lives, fruit like gentleness, as Pastor Rich talked about last week and how he is just actively working in us. And so today we're going to be continuing this series, looking at how the Holy Spirit, we've been called into a life of freedom in Christ, amen? And how it takes the Holy Spirit walking with the Spirit to live that life. He desires us to live in freedom. And so that's the kind of urges he gives us, that's how he leads us. And so what does that mean to walk with the Spirit in a life of freedom? And what does that kind of freedom look like? We're going to dive right into our passage here, which is Galatians 5, 13 to 26. And you can look along with the screen. It says this, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the de flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word and thank you, God, so much for the gift. We're so grateful to be able to worship together as a body. And thank you for the gift of the church. And Lord, now as we come to your word, Lord, you know where each of us are coming from. Lord, we want to meet you and leave here encountering you. Lord, would you fill us and speak to us through your word today? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When we look at this letter that Paul writes to the Galatians, we want to be remembering that like any letter... A letter is written to a particular people facing a particular situation at a particular time. 
So we might look at it as, you know, reading it for today, but this was not written for us today, living in the season we are now. There were particular struggles that the Christians in Galatia were facing. And Paul writes this letter, and it's a really strong letter to this church because they were battling with something that was infiltrating the teachings of the church. The gospel says that we have been under the power of sin, enslaved by sin, but because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, he is now victorious. He has freed us from that enslavement. It is nothing we have done that has earned that or made that possible. It is purely the work of Christ. And yet there were teachers that were coming in and saying they were just not willing to let go of circumcision because that is a sacrificial act that marked the people of God for such a long time. They're like, yes, Christ and circumcision that you still needed this physical act of the flesh to prove that you are a Christ follower. And Paul is adamant. He is angry in this letter. He is feeling really, really convicted in this letter because he's a good shepherd of his church. And he says, no, no, no. If there was a volume to this letter, it'd be pretty loud. (laughs) And so when we read it, we just think, oh, it's just a letter, flat text. But this is a strong sermon And it speaks to us today because even today, as we live in this in-between world of, yes, Christ has come, but we are not yet fully in the promised land until heaven. So we live in this in-between wilderness period where there's struggle and tension, and we don't experience the fullness of all that Christ has done, though his power is living and active in this world. And so just like the Galatians, we are going to experience that sort of tension of how do we protect the gospel and keep that truth? because it's the gospel alone that helps us live in freedom. And so Paul, as he's writing this, he's observing things that are happening in the church in Galatia. Verse 15 says that if you bite and devour each other, watch out, which meant that in the church, in the family of God, there was biting and devouring, slandering. People were taking sides. They were just putting others down that didn't agree with their point of view. There was just division and just terrible things that did not reflect the spirit of God. But these teachings had come in and they were starting to blend that in. And so there was discord in the church. And so Paul is pointing the church back again to say the gospel is this, walk in freedom, don't get enslaved again. Which shows us that in the, because this biting comes in, the devouring comes in, it shows that we have a choice every single day to choose Christ. Biting comes in. We can easily choose the old ways. Because Christ has come, it does not mean that we automatically, passively, suddenly, I am a new creation. Now I do everything perfectly. Helen is always loving. Helen is always kind. Helen is always good. Helen is always gentle and faithful and full of self-control. This is not true. I am fighting to work out. God has given me the desires to do these things, but I still have to participate in being good and being faithful, and being gentle, and all those things. And so the fact that their fighting is breaking out in the church reminds us that how easily we can go back to the enslavement mindset, and how we need to struggle and step in with the spirit to walk and live into the freedom he really has for us. And so we know that this is not a passive choice to follow Christ. It's not just Christ did everything, and we just kind of sit along and somehow everything works out, we have a part to play. So there's three core terms that are very interesting in this passage that stand out. Freedom, desires of the flesh, and desires of the spirit. 
what are they? And so there's a simple map here and it's a really simplified look at what these are, but I think it points to the definitions. And so the desires of the flesh are essentially, what do I want? And it's asking that question before anything else. Yes, so I have choice to use my money. What do I want? Yeah, I know there's these options, but what do I want? There are these careers, there's this um, vacation opportunity. What do I want? And the emphasis is on the I. And ultimately, that emphasis leads, Scripture says, to slavery. Desires of the flesh, focusing is on the self. The desires of the spirit, on the other hand, asks first and foremost, God, what do you want? What does my neighbor need? And is looking outward at God and outward at those around us. And that, scripture tells us, leads to freedom. And in between these is a constant tension. This is what I want. Lord, what do you want? And I don't always want physically, I don't feel like I wanna do what God wants. So in this world of the already and not yet, because we're not fully automatically perfect yet, I struggle sometimes to want what God wants. But still, the primacy in the desires of the spirit is that I ask, Lord, what do you want? I don't always want it. And initially, I often have to learn to just obey and going, Lord, I see what you want in scripture. So I will do these things. And so where in this do you locate yourself? When you think about how you use your money, is it first asking, what do I want? All right, I'm going to get this, and I'm going to move towards these financial goals. Or are you looking, Lord, what do you want? Is it open-handed before the Lord? And what does my neighbor need? In your marriage, is it first and foremost, what do I want? Or are you looking at what does my first neighbor need? What does God want in this marriage? When you're looking at career choices, in friendship, the kind of things you, know, you decide to do together as friends, is it what God wants first? And what my neighbor wants, what my friend wants, what others around me want? Or is it, am I first asking and leaning towards, what do I want? So where do you locate yourself? And naturally, because we originate from being sinful creatures, what feels right to us is going to be the flesh. It's like, yeah, this is what I want. I know what I want. And this is going to feel very unnatural. But as we grow and we lean in more and more to the desires of the spirit, it will feel more and more natural, more of who we are. But there is a tension in this place in between. And so the church in Galatia, Paul writes, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. And so that we know that we have a choice here. Freedom is available to us in Christ, but it is up to us to make the choices to walk in that freedom. And that freedom is not indulging the self, is indulging in the things of what God desires. And so when we look at this, there's a couple of points of view in this world that we live in that's already and not yet that we want to consider that are actually incorrect ways of looking at the world and our faith. There's summer vacation theology and bean bar theology. And so we live in a world that is not, summer vacation theology is, this is already. Christ has come. He is victorious, and so life is good, and it's only going to get better. And so, you know, things work out, of course, because I'm a Christian, and God is with me, and everything is wonderful, and the next step is only higher and better and further and more things. Um, that's summer vacation theology. 
but it doesn't wrestle with the tension that there is pain in this world and there's struggle and our lives don't always quite work out. And so there's devastation. If you're living in this area of thinking everything is already, God has come fully, then there's tension when cancer comes, when you lose your job, when someone in your family has passed away. All of a sudden it's like, I thought everything's supposed to be good. And there's no room for the tension and the struggle. The other side is beam bar theology, which is, well, this is because I was in the village the other day and I saw this fascinating little shop for $99, you go in and in a few minutes, and then you come out with a wonderful white smile. (laughs) And so they call it beam bar. And this is the not yet theology, which is, well, there's no difference between me and others out there who are not Christian, we're all broken. And so I'm just a fallen creature. I will always mess up. I mean, the reason I lied the other day, the reason I just, you know, was a little self-centered, I'm a broken human being. But Lord has forgiven me. And I have always a constant availability to forgiveness. So I go to Jesus, Lord, I messed up again. And then you're forgiven. (laughs) You know, it's a little simplified, right? But this is living in the not yet, like until Jesus comes, I'm gonna be messed up. So, you know, and so I can just always go to Jesus and get zapped and have that bright smile. But that doesn't pay attention to the cost of that forgiveness that Christ paid. And the real appreciation of what Christ has done is not this easy forgiveness, but a deep understanding that, wow, this cost Jesus something. And if I'm to receive it, I am also called to follow right back in the way of the cross. And so we're neither already and we're neither not yet. We live in the in-between, which is the already and the not yet. Christ has come. His power is living and active in every follower of Jesus. The Holy Spirit lives within us and the Holy Spirit is dynamic and powerful. And yet we live still in a broken world. And so a good reminder of what that looks like is the promise, the wilderness, where the Israelites were wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. After 400 years of slavery, they have been set free miraculously by God. And so now they were free people. But in those 40 years, they were not yet in the promised land. They were free, but they were not in the promised land. And so they lived in a life of tension. And we in this world, until Christ comes back, we are these people. We live in the already and the not yet. And it's a place of struggle between the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit. And it's a constant struggle and decision to say, Lord, I choose you. And in this wilderness, there was good things, right? There was some aspects of already. There was manna, miraculous provision. You know, there was miracle after miracle in the wilderness. And there's also pain. There was a lack of produce and meat and all the goodies that they used to have in Egypt. There was struggle, there was deficit here. It was both and. And that is the world we live in. So when we experience tension in our Christian walk, like why isn't it always working out? It is a good reminder that we live in the already and not yet. And it's a constant turning towards the spirit and saying, but you are with us. The pain doesn't mean that he's not with us. The pain is just part of being in an already not yet world. And so keeping in mind that we are living in this place of tension, what does it mean to walk in the desires of the spirit? And verse 16, Paul says, so I say, walk by the spirit. How do we walk in the spirit when we live in a place of wilderness? The verses before, I think, point us to the answer. It says, 
uh, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And Paul positions two things as opposite. Indulging in the flesh, serving others humbly in love. The two are diametrically opposite of each other. Serving the flesh is being self-centered. Everything rotates around what I want or what someone else wants. The self is in the middle. But loving one another, who's in the middle? It's not me. It's God and what he desires and someone else. And so the answer to walking the spirit is how do we live a life of love? So if we go back to those two circles, you know, we can look at what does love look like? And love in our world, you know, can sometimes be anything goes as long as, you know, makes you feel good. So that's loving. But love is defined a little bit differently in the Bible. And so sometimes what can pass as love, what we think of as love, can actually be a desire of the flesh love, which is the self is at the center. And one thing to note is to think about, you know, it's easy to think, oh, I'm living in the flesh when it's more hedonistic when I'm like gratifying my, you know, fleshly desires of drink, of food, of clothes, of material possessions, of, you know, things that are very obvious. Um, but Nick and I were talking, my husband, Nick and I, and we were just laughing about this because there's another way that we can live in the flesh and it's not as obvious. So if it, we were to use two analogies, it would be prodigal son and the Pharisee that could live in the flesh. Prodigal son is like my husband. He confesses, and I have full permission to say, that he loves, you know, a good glass of whiskey. He loves good food. Man, you give him that, that bad day turned into a good day. You know, and he is in his happy place. Like, it transforms him. I was witness to that last night. <laughs> it was amazing how fast things could change. I love beautiful things, but that is not as big a thing for me. I live more as a Pharisee, and it's not as obvious because what I do outwardly looks really good. It looks like good action, good words, good, you know, it looks like I'm so loving to everybody else, but what is at the core? In my house, I'm running around like crazy trying to keep everything in order, but is it to love my family or because I want things to be right? You know, I want things a certain way. Am I willing to adjust? You know, I love things a certain way in my home and I feel like there's certain things I need to do for our, you know, my stepsons, but am I often not willing to give what they actually want rather than keeping everything in order and in the, process, the order of how I think things should be? And in that way, I'm very much living in the desire to flesh because what's in the center is me. It's what I want. It's how I want things to be. And it's not really looking at, Lord, what do you want me to do in this home or in this marriage or with parenting? It's, and what does my neighbor and my family really need? It's really first looking at how I want things to be. And so the pharisaical way of living in the flesh is sometimes not as obvious. And so it, the, the hedonism one really is because it's very visible, but there are two ways to live in this flesh. So when we live in love, some questions to ask, who is primary in my decision-making? Is it me? Is, am I thinking about what I want or what others want? You know, as you're spending money, who is primary? Is it first what I want, or am I asking God what he wants and what others need? Um, homelessness today in New York City is at an all-time high. It has not been this high since the Great Depression. 
If you walk down Queens Boulevard, I have been seeing so many more people in the streets than I ever have. And other neighbors and other places have said the same in New York City. And so when I'm looking at, you know, this need, is it first, Lord, let me feed myself and give myself all the gourmet treats I want, or am I seeing the brokenness around me, the needs around me? In parenting, am I doing what I want for my family? Is it more about what I want because I want them to have a successful, quote unquote, life? Um, Is it the ways that I want to raise them because this is what I want? Or am I really praying through, what does God want for my kids? What does my neighbor need? Am I teaching them these kind of things? When I volunteer, I can live in the desires of the flesh. I do it because it feels good. I have volunteered today, given my two hours (laughs) for the week, so I feel really good about myself. That's sort of more self-centered. But if I am doing it because God has convicted me, man, I really wanted to go and treat myself, but I see God has convicted me as I'm walking down Queens Boulevard that someone is hungry. So I'm going to give up that treat, and so I can meet God in what he has convicted me of, and I'm seeing what my neighbor needs. In all the decisions that we're doing, we can either be loving in the flesh, which is not real love and leads ultimately to slavery, or I could be loving in the spirit, which leads to freedom, being outward-centered, open-handed to what God wants and what my neighbor needs leads ultimately to freedom. So some questions to examine ourselves is, who is primary in my decision-making? Is it me, God, others? Another way to examine is between these two circles is what's the source of constant conflict in your life? When you look at the arguments that keep coming up, whether that's in your home, your family, your friendships, coworkers, what is underneath that conflict? Could it be possibly that you are holding onto something you want and not releasing it? Is there something that God wants and it's because we're holding on something about ourselves that is not given up? Another way to examine is to examine the planning of your use of time and your use of money. Your calendar is a great way to look. What has primacy? Is it you, God, and the needs of your neighbor? Which one is it? When you look at your bank account and how you've been spending, your credit card statements, who has primacy? Is it you? Is it what God wants, what your neighbor needs? Who are you spending on? Who are you spending your time on? Another way to ask is, how available are you for others? If someone called you and needed you, are you able to let go and respond? How much margin is there in your life to respond to others? And as you look back over the week, the month, has there been, you know, ability to say yes? How often do you say no to what you want? Or is it, I'm trying to keep both. Yes, everything I want and trying to fit in everything else. It just can't happen that way. The way of the spirit often is crucifying the flesh. So it's never going to feel really good usually until we begin to transform. But the good news is we live in this war zone. And it says, you know, it's really a battlefield. The flesh and the spirit, they want what's contrary to each other. There is a real war that is going on. And the Galatians were falling into the trap of, no, I want status. And this is, you know, the circumcision belief is the right camp to be. So I am one of those people who really know the gospel. And they were just setting up standards against each other. And there was a lot of fighting that happens. And ultimately, when I stand that way, these old ways of status, influence, 
material possessions, all these things ultimately just leads to slavery. And it's the picture of the things of the flesh, the acts of the flesh, show that it ripples out into community. But in the desires of the Spirit, as I'm leaning in, the Holy Spirit is at work. This doesn't happen just on our own. The only reason we even want what God wants, even that the fact that we can ask and have a desire to ask, Lord, what do you want? And even if we say, oh, that's really painful, that's really hard, just even being able to ask, Lord, what do you want, is a sign that the Holy Spirit's at work. We don't even want these things until the Holy Spirit is at work. And as we step into obeying, more and more of our desires begin to change. When I was in my late 20s, I was really anti-working out. (laughs) And there was a time where, you know, in our hot apartment that I lived in with my older sister and my dad, um, we had no AC and it was summer. I distinctly remember a time because it was just amazing to me, my sister could do this. She had a treadmill and she was very disciplined about working out. She still is to this day. She's like the Marines. Um, But she had the treadmill and she was running on that thing. She would often run for three miles with no AC, Um, in our carpeted apartment, (laughs) very hot. And I remember just standing in front of her one day, watching her run, sweating like crazy, and just so focused on like being so disciplined about this. And I had, I decided to go to the kitchen, get a bag of chips. And then I walked back and said, this is like real entertainment right here. I opened the bag of chips and while (laughs) she was sweating and running, I was enjoying those bags going, hey, why do you do this to yourself? Is this fun? Like, do you want a, a chip? Here, take a snack. And like, I love doing that to my sister. But I just was like, I could not fathom or understand what would possess a woman to want to run in like 85 plus weather inside in a carpeted apartment on a treadmill for three miles, sweating profusely. Well, flash forward a few years later, I found myself on that treadmill <laughs> running along and going, and I had back then never run in my life. Like running was maybe to the bus stop. It was not running. But in between that time, after watching my sister for a while, I was like noticing what she ate. I was like, and she looked good. Like, you know, she just looked healthy. Like, whereas I look like a soggy mess, you know? And I was just like, huh. So then I started eating some fruit, some Greek yogurt, <laughs> transformative Greek yogurt. Um, and then I was like, well, maybe I'll walk on the treadmill. And I felt like, oh, this actually feels good to have your blood flowing. And then just over time, those small leaning into those kind of choices started to change where my desires, I started to crave the healthier stuff. I actually look forward to my workout where I was like, actually, I want to run. And even in heat, I was willing to run. I was like, this is not who I was. (laughs) Anyone who met me at that time in my late 20s has been like, is this the same Helen? But something changed as I watched someone else lean into those good desires and model for me a healthy life. And as I started to make small choices, things began to change. And it's the same with the Holy Spirit. This is a war zone. We will want the desires the flesh. Tension is normal in the already not yet world. And yet the Holy Spirit will bubble up around us through the people around us and give us snippets of like, this is what's out there, freedom, real freedom, real love. And in us, there'll be little desires to be like, yeah, let me ask God what he wants me to do with my time. And as we lean into that, we slowly, one decision at a time, and we begin to walk by the Spirit, one decision at a time, we begin to change. And we become a new, freed people 
Freedom takes time. The fruit of the Spirit is something that emerges over time out of many acts of daily obedience. So there is tension, but there's also the good news that the Holy Spirit is living and active. He is at work. And so there's something possible to emerge in us that we can't do on our own. And so I just want to end with this quote from Gordon Fee, who's a New Testament scholar. And he says, Life in the Spirit is not passive, nor is obedience automatic. We continue to live in the real world. We are, after all, both already and not yet. Therefore, the imperative for the already is walk in by the Spirit. This is the command for us. Walk in by the Spirit. That, command, that assumes that we live in a world very much controlled by the flesh. But it also assumes that we now live in that world as different people, led by the Spirit, and empowered by the Spirit to produce the fruit of righteousness rather than to continue in the works of the flesh. As we allow God to work in us by these many obediences, we become a different people, radically different that the world gets to see and then gets invited into by seeing, oh, what is this church? Why do they love this radically? Why do they not walk by when they see injustice? Why do they not walk by when they see that homeless person? is because we're spirit people, we're different. And the Holy Spirit is not just sitting passively on the sidelines watching how we do, but he is in it with us, bubbling up those urges around us as we're looking at scripture, in prayer, within us desires are changing and as we keep listening and obeying and walking one step at a time, something new will emerge. We become truly free free to love, not to grasp, but to love and want what God wants and what our neighbor needs. Let's pray. Father, we come to you just so grateful for your goodness towards us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being in it with us, in this already, not yet. You don't leave us and wait for us to get to the finish line. You have come for us in Christ. And you are in it with us in this in-between war zone because you are longing and desiring for your people to be free. You desire for all people to be free, God. And so when it feels uncomfortable, Lord, would you teach us to trust you, that the ways you lead us in are the ways of freedom and to be able to choose love again and again so that we may walk in freedom and not slavery. We pray this in your precious and powerful son, Jesus' name, amen. Through the eyes of man, it seems there's so much we have lost. As we look down the road where all the prodigals have gone One by one the enemy has whispered lies and led them out as slaves
Let's have our prayer team come to my right. Let's give it up for Pastor Helen for teaching us God's word this morning. Also want to give a shout out to Yusuf who's leading us in worship this day. And my, 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 look who's on the keyboards today. It's Peter Roden. So give it up for Peter Roden. Uh, listen, there are two ways of living in the world, two ways of living in the world. It's, it's the way of the flesh, the way of the spirit. Way of the flesh, way of the spirit. And Helen's word is really good. We go, can, can I live in both worlds? I just wish I could live in both worlds. No, the, war, the way of the spirit wars against the way of the flesh, and the way of the flesh wars against the way of the spirit. And could you imagine how transformed our world would be if we all decided by the power of the Spirit to live in the ways of the Spirit. Imagine your marriage for a moment and the transformation that could emerge in your marriage. For many of us, our, in our, when, when conflicts emerge in our marriage, our relationships and our, with our roommate, what have you, it's often, this is what I want. I don't care what you want. This is what I want. But imagine if we began conversations with, what do you need? And the person across the room says, no, what do you need? 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 Could you imagine how healed the world would be if we looked at our neighbor and says, what do you need? What will actually begin to happen is when relationships are marked by what do you need, we find that our wants are often met as well in the process. When we have that kind of cyclical, Trinitarian kind of way of being in the world. And this is the way that Jesus invites us to. Imagine the healing that would take place. When we see injustice in the world, and we see what's happening. The way we respond is often the way of the flesh. I'm not going to get involved with that. I want comfort. I don't want to have to deal with that stuff. But the way of the Spirit says, what does God want? What does my neighbor need? And so here's the question, as you think about your, your life, your time, the ways you make decisions, the conflicts you have, your desires, are you leading the conversation in these decisions with this is what I want, or what does God want, God need, what does my neighbor need? What Pastor Helen mentioned to us is really important about the life of walking in the Spirit. She mentioned this the first service, and it bears repeating in the second. Dallas Willard, a great theologian, said that the gospel is not opposed to effort. The gospel is opposed to earning. The gospel is not opposed to effort. We are called to participate with God in transformation of our own lives and the transformation of the world around us. We can never earn the love of God, but we are called to live out that love with effort and yet we need the power of the holy spirit to do that there's one prayer that i want to leave you with and then we want to invite you to come forward for prayer as we close our service there's a prayer that i believe the holy spirit loves to answer and here it is there's two aspects to it what if we prayed this week lord by your spirit give me desire to do your will give me desire to do your will and then here's the second part of that prayer. And when that desire is not there, Holy Spirit, grant me discipline to do your will. Whatever I do for God, I want desire. 
I want to do it because I want to do it, because the Holy Spirit is at work in my life. And yet I know that in a given day, there's many thoughts that say, I don't want to do it. I don't want to have the conversation. I don't want to forgive. I don't want to be generous. I don't want to work for the poor and the marginal. I don't want to do it. Lord, give me discipline whenever I don't desire it. And that's a prayer that the Holy Spirit says, I'd be glad to empower you and to give you all the resources you need to accomplish my will. Listen, as we close our service, we have a prayer team here. In a room this large, those of you watching online as well, in a room this large, there's a lot of struggle going on in this room. What's the struggle? My will or God's will? Every single one of us every day are struggling. If you're not struggling, I want you to pray for me at the end of the service. I, I need a super, I need your anointing. Uh, because if you're not, if you're always doing God's will and, and your dishes don't get dirty and the kids are always all right, pray for me. I need your prayers. But if you're struggling with my will or God's will, we want to pray for you that God would grant you the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to live more and more walking in the way of the Spirit. So maybe you came in with marital crisis. Maybe you came in with struggles as a parent. Maybe you came in at work and you're struggling with work, trying to make a decision and trying to discern God's will. We want to pray for you for whatever need that you have. At the end of our service, we'll have a sermon discussion time as well. For those of you watching online, uh, if you want to just talk with some folks about uh, what it means to live in the Spirit, we'd love to host the space for about 30 minutes. One of our pastors will be leading that time. And then I want to give an invitation. Listen, some of you have been coming to church, but you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. Some of you have been watching online, you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. Your life has been oriented around you not around God. And you're saying to yourself, I realize that a life oriented around myself leads to death, leads to frustration, leads not to life, not to joy, not to peace, but to everything else. And if you're at this point where you're saying, I want to surrender my life to God, we want to help you along those lines. You can come up for prayer. You can also text the phrase, yes to Jesus, to the number on the screen, 718-424-0122. And one of our pastors will love to follow up with you. As we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. Next week I'll be preaching. and we We'll be finishing our series on the Holy Spirit next week. And I'll be preaching, kind of summarizing where we've been for the last couple of months. And so uh, if you haven't been coming to church next week, you'll get all the sermons in one week. And so um, I don't recommend that, all right? Uh, but you'll get a good sense as to where we've been over the last couple of months as we've talked about the Holy Spirit. Let me bless you. Listen, Jesus loves you with an everlasting love. I know you have problems. I know you have challenges, addictions, good days, bad days. Jesus loves you with an everlasting love. And my hope is that you will live in that joy and that reality today. Brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building and out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit, desiring to do the will of God. And when that desire is not there, may the Holy Spirit grant you discipline to do the will of God. And may your life be marked by peace and joy and love and abundance. And may you give glory to God with your life. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful and the resurrected name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said, 
Amen. Grace and peace to you all.